Psalm 2 can be found on page 567. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you will be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Well, good evening. We're working at the moment uh, with our volume, so hopefully it will keep working uh, so that I can speak. But if not, I've told Dave, uh, quite happy to use my teacher voice and just go microphone free. Uh, uh, recently, I went on a uh, mission and service trip to Fiji. And uh, just before I got up to speak, I was actually asked to speak in a church. I'll talk a little bit about it later. But just before I got up to speak, it started pouring down rain. And unlike here, where we have a bit of... Uh, stuff in the roof that keeps the sound out, there it's a tin shed. Uh, so I was having to almost yell over the top of that. Hopefully people heard me. Um, a number of years ago at another school that I was actually part of, I remember we invited a Christian band to come and play. They played in our chapel services and then we got to them to play at lunch, uh, play in the playground, just play some tunes and sing some songs about God uh, so that the people might start thinking about God, who he is, uh, and what he's done for them. As they did that, we went around with some fantails with Bible verses attached to them. We hand them out just to get people thinking. Uh, but then the band stopped. And as we often do in Christian circles, they wanted to give a talk. And so he started to try and talk, but it seemed like no one was interested. So he thought, I know. I know how I'll get a crowd. And he said to the crowd, he said, I've got $20 for somebody. You should have seen the crowd run. They've all come in, hands outreached, wanting that $20. It's a way to pull a crowd, isn't it? It's a way to get people in. Wouldn't it be great if we could instantly pull crowds like that? Wouldn't it be amazing if this place was full every week? In fact, that they were flowing out the doors and we just had to push harder to get our new building because this is just not big enough. I don't know whether $20 would be enough. Maybe we need the $100 to get them in. Or wouldn't it be amazing if we just had music that was like a Taylor Swift concert? I heard Taylor Swift's in town or something, had a concert last night. Uh, or we could offer something else, some great experience or preaching that sets the world on fire or a personality that acts like a magnet. People are just attracted and want to come. Now, the reason for this, of course, is we want people to hear about God. 
We want them to be changed by God's word and we want them to come to Christ. And so I know I find myself sometimes thinking, how can I get more and more people to hear about him? It's an attractive type of thinking. But Paul gives a challenging rebuke to that type of thinking tonight. You see, Paul wants to ask us a question. Who are we trying to please? Paul wants to challenge our priorities. It's not about pleasing ourselves. In fact, pleasing God is more loving to others and directs us to the core of the Christian message. So to begin with, who are we pleasing? Well, let's look at Paul and see who he wants to please. Uh, Pick it up with me in verse 1 of chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. I think Paul actually straight up deals with our concern, doesn't he? Do we ever feel like we're a bit of a failure because this place is not full? Do we ever feel like we're a bit of a failure because we don't spend every day talking about Jesus and just telling people they need to repent and believe the good news? Well, Paul looks at things differently. How does he define success? Is it a big church? Lots of people coming through the doors? No, he looks differently. Verse 2. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel, in spite of strong oppositions. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Paul focuses on the who of the message. He's not worried about what others around him think. He says very clearly, we represent God. And so we represent God faithfully. He preaches faithfully. He brings the true message. He doesn't in spite of strong opposition. Why? Paul plays to an audience of one. The one who has saved him, the one who sent his son to die for him. He wants to please God and God alone. How hard do we find this in our world? I think it's getting increasingly harder. A world that does not want to hear the message about Jesus. In fact, a world that wants to actually pretend God's not even there. In the last week, a letter was written. A letter written and signed off on by the heads of many of our Anglican schools in Sydney. In fact, 33 out of 35 of them. It was amazing to watch as the letter, which was a public letter to all the MPs, 
then became public to the media. I watched as I saw the name of the Anglican Church get dragged, it seemed, through the mud once again. The letter misquoted or misunderstood, I believe, for its intent and purpose. All the heads wanted was the right to be able to employ people that actually agreed with their message, with their core message, or who were willing to support it. That's all they were asking for. I decided to go and check the Facebook page of the school I went to as a student. Uh, It's not necessarily known as a strong Christian school, but I know it's got people who want to live for Jesus. But as I read, I was greatly saddened. Uh, Out of the 200 comments that were made, I could count on one hand the number of people who actually supported the school signing off on this letter. The response was the total opposite. There were lots of people who said they were ashamed that they had had some connection with that school. Lots of people who were ashamed that they had been through that school. In fact, one of the first posts I read was written by one of my former teachers, a teacher who taught at the school for 40 years or more, very influential. And his comment cut me. He said that by signing off on this letter, what you are doing is saying that you hate this particular type of people. How is that following Jesus' example of love? That hurts. We live in a world that does not like our message. It does not like the message that there is only one way to be saved. Polar opposites are increasingly being held more and more strongly. And if you want to speak about God publicly, more and more we are finding that opposition. But what's Paul's response? In spite of strong opposition, we dared to proclaim the message of Christ. We are to please God and God alone. So who are you trying to please? How does it show in your message and in your actions? God is powerful. Remember what we heard about the Thessalonians last week? What did they do? They turned to God from worshipping idols. They serve the living and true God. It's God's word that has an impact, that is powerful. These people know it. You see, friends, I think it's easy for us to think it's about the power of the preacher, the positivity of the meeting, or the increase of the population that matters. No, only the gospel faithfully proclaimed produces the change that is needed. The faithful proclamation that trusts God in his powerful work, bringing sinners from death to life. There should be great joy. At any time, someone turns to Christ. And I think even more so in our world, 
the most recent person I've seen turn to Christ. One week they were saying, I'm not even sure if God exists. Yet the next week, having heard God's word preached, having seen Christians acting in love, they were convicted and turned to trust in Jesus. There were lots of others going through that experience at the same time, but only one, only because of God's powerful work. What did Jesus say? For the rich coming to know God, to be in relationship with God, is like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Well, we're the rich, aren't we? Anyone in our country to actually say, I'm going to trust in God is to say, I'm going to actually forget all the wealth around me. But in remaining faithful to the truth, we will find that the accusations will come because we say that God says that's not the way to live. People will not like us. They will accuse us of all sorts of things, being callous, unloving, failing to follow Jesus' call to love, failing to accept the sinner in our community. So does our faithfulness to the message mean that we are actually unloving? Well, Paul wants to say no. Uh, You see, Paul provides us with an answer in the way that he treated the Thessalonians. He didn't ignore their needs, no, no. His faithfulness to God meant he loved them in a self-sacrificial way. How? Well, let's have a look at the examples he gives. He, He gives some powerful images. As apostles of Christ, sorry, picking it up in verse 6b, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Isn't that a wonderful image? The image of a mother? Gently caring for her children. I know for me, I can't help but think of my own wife, the way she's been so gentle, giving up so much. When the children started to cry at night and I just kept on sleeping through, she was the one that got up. Gently caring, nurturing, cuddling, loving. What an image. Loving in a way, though, that's not a burden, not dependent on the child in any way, but actually building the child up and loving and caring for them, looking out for their emotional needs. But then Paul keeps going with the image, and he goes to the other parent, the father, and he looks at their character. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That image of a father who holds unswervingly to the truth, 
who doesn't back down from what he believes. But also, I think, built into what Paul points out, that image of a father who's not lording it over their children, but encouraging, comforting, and urging their children to live lives worthy of the call they've received, worthy of the gospel. Mother, father, parenting, working well. And that's how Paul sees himself treating the Thessalonians. And I do wonder, do we do that? You see, at one level, I could look at how the Anglican church has just been pulled down and down and down again. It's just been one of those things where we seem to get back up and just get knocked down again. But then at the same time, I listen. And whenever there's something about homeless or people struggling with life, often what's called out? Anglicare. There seems to be this positive about Anglicare. Or if I was to ask the students in my school, an Anglican school, do they actually feel loved here? Do they feel cared for? Do they feel like this school has standards that they hold? I think in most cases I'd actually get a, yeah, actually you're doing all right. You see, I think the world is struggling with that in some ways. We we get this sort of negative paint picture of the Anglican church and yet when you actually look at the people in it, there's not such a negative view. On the ground, we seem to do okay. And Paul is challenging us to keep going in this path, to love because we know the truth, the truth that has changed us, that has transformed us, the reality that we deserve death, but we've been given life. So Paul calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So do we love like this? Holding on to the truth of the gospel, yet gently sharing, not just words, but our lives with each other? I know sometimes I find it easier just to share the words. But being gentle and loving and kind, how did Paul do this? Well, they kept on giving Giving, giving, giving. They shared their lives and they worked to meet their own needs. They didn't actually expect any money from the church there in Thessalonica. How might we do that? Well, I mentioned before that I actually recently uh, went on a trip to Fiji. We went on what we called a mission and service trip. I think we did a little bit of service, not much more. But we did go to one church uh, where we, where they sang and, oh wow, their singing is uplifting. Where they prayed and really prayed, trusting in God. They invited us to share a little bit as well, where we shared our story and, and we even got to uh, preach. But then at the end of the service, we hung around for a while, like we normally do. And we thought, okay, we've been here for a while, we need to go, we need to go and get lunch. And they said, no, no, you can't go. No, we need to go. We've got to go and get... No, no, we've got something for you. So we waited a little bit longer. And then they shocked us. You see, whilst church had been on, and it was a small little church, we'd basically doubled the size of the church that morning. People had been off preparing food. You know those sort of rectangular sort of styrofoam containers that we sometimes put chips in and, and whatnot? 
Well, I had one of those with rice and a chicken dish in it, chicken meal of some sort. But then they had a second container with cakes and slices in it. Each for every member of our team, all 26 of us. And I need to tell you, this was in a very poor community. I was overwhelmed. I was embarrassed. How generous were they to us? Self-sacrificial. I don't know how they afforded it. But they just wanted to give to us. We'd never seen them before. We just rocked up one Sunday. A self-sacrificial generosity. I think that's like Paul's love, isn't it? Sacrificially giving. So he loves them like a mother, gently. He loves them like a father, holding to the truth, standing firm with Jesus. It's, it's a strategy that trusts God. Can we see it working out? If we do this, will this place fill up? There's no guarantee of that. It's like a parent when we raise our children. We do the best we can. But in the end, can I guarantee that my children will be perfect? No. Not at all. They're okay, but I don't know how they're going to turn out in five, ten years' time. What do I want them to know? I want them to know they're loved. Loved by us, but ultimately loved by God. That no matter what happens, God loves them through his Son. And he's calling them to him. The call on us is to remain faithful to faithfully preach the word, to faithfully live the word, following Jesus. So Paul, to finish off, reminds the Thessalonians and us of what this word of God is. And in our world that's become so good at ignoring God, I think it's important that we keep reminding ourselves of it. Well, verse 13, uh, we read this. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's word is powerful. They are different. They are challenging. But they are God's words. The Creator Himself speaks, speaks to us. He sends His Son in the flesh that we might know Him. How does Paul know? Verse 14, For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. How do we know God's word is powerful? I think it's when anybody turns to him. When we turn away from worshipping idols to serve the living and true God, this will involve at times rejection, hurt and pain. I just mentioned how we went and visited this church in Fiji. Uh, whilst we were in Fiji, uh, we also had, uh, it was our mission and service trip, and it was life-changing. 
But I thought at one point I'd, we had a, a person with us who was our guide, lovely Christian man, and I said to him, I said, can you tell me what's the greatest danger for the church in Fiji? You know what he said to me? He said, you are. Yeah, I was shocked too. How can we be a problem? We're coming across to try and help you, to be part of this, to work with you. Well, fortunately, he elaborated. When you come across with all your stuff, with all your wealth, you distract the Fijian Christians. You see, they don't see Jesus in you. They see all the stuff you have and they start going after that. They forget Jesus and his powerful work and start to focus on your wealth. What a challenge. What a rebuke. The reality actually is when we go to Fiji, we don't actually take much across. We don't give them much. They give us so much more, and I think we need to be honest about that and not fool ourselves. But what about us in our world? Have we been distracted? Have we been distracted by all the stuff we have? Do we do that? Do we gain Christ and then add to it, thinking, oh yeah, if I'm going to be a real Christian, then it's not just about knowing Christ. I've got to have this and this and this. Do I feel like I have to have the really nice house that, oh, I can justify it because I can use this house for ministry and really it just becomes extra rooms on the house that never ever get used? In fact, I saw one of the members of our team really get challenged by going into the houses in Fiji and thinking, I've got my dream house, but maybe I actually need to come back and sell it. They said, I said to them, well, maybe not. Maybe you can use it for ministry. Maybe uh, you could um, host people in your house. Uh, I said, look, some of these Fijians may want to come across and visit us, visit us one day. And they turned to me and they said, I would be embarrassed to invite them into my house because of how wealthy I am. And it was a pretty stock standard new house. Oh, what a challenge. You see, the Fijians, their houses are so simple, but they still work. It's a roof over their heads. Or is it something else? Is it the nice Christian car, believing it has to be up to date with all the current technology so that uh, somehow we have what we should have? Many of the Fijians don't even have cars. Our guide got up very early every morning to catch a bus in from his village to help us. Or is it the fast life, always wanting more, always going after more? In Fiji, I know I was challenged many times as instead we would just sit down, sit next to each other, not even necessarily talking. I'd sit with this old man and we'd just sit there silently, being in each other's presence, not pulling the phone out, just being there. And sometimes we'd talk. Or the relaxing holiday. You know, most Fijians can't even afford the basic holidays we embark on. We took our guide to a budget accommodation that we finished our trip with. We saw the beauty of God's creation as we snorkeled out in pristine waters. But he said to us he'd never experienced that part of Fiji before. 
I wonder if we need a reality check. If we have Christ, we don't need all that other stuff. I know I found myself challenged and rebuked. I think I've mentioned before, I'll be looking forward to building a house. And there's times where I think if I could just get a little bit more money, I could put that extra room on. I came back going, why am I even thinking about that? I just need a roof over my head. If we have Christ, we have all we need because we have eternal life. We're not missing out. In fact, we're going to gain so much more. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians of that right at the end of this passage. Those people who oppose them, what does he say halfway through verse 15? They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. By their lives they confirm the truth. They've ignored God, they've rejected God, they've tried to forget about God, pretend he doesn't even exist. And the more they do that, the more they heap up their sins. God's wrath is coming. You see, it's true that he will come back. So for us, we need to hold to that truth, hold faithfully to it. Don't see it as a big thing to be more impressive in what we do. Keep holding unswervingly to that truth, proclaiming Christ and Christ alone, not Christ plus. We need to hold to that truth and turn away from those idols. Our idols might be stuff. It might be ideals of the way to do things or the ability to do whatever one feels like they want to do what they keep calling freedom. Our world has turned its back on God. Let's trust him and him alone. Keep trusting him and keep living lives worthy of the gospel. Holding to that truth. No matter what we may face, no matter how we feel we suffer. Let's pray. Our amazing and incredible God, We thank you so much that through faithful proclamation of your word, the truth is revealed. Help us be those people who trust only in Jesus. Help us get rid of the idols in our lives. Help us to live lives worthy of the gospel living for Jesus and Jesus alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.